Good morning, and welcome to episode 660 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Ben. Uh, that's my dishwasher. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hi, Ben. Hi. Brought to you by the Play Index at baseballreference.com, our favorite thing. Please do subscribe to the Play Index at baseballreference.com. 660, first significant baseball number we've had in a while. That's the thing about getting past 500. Is there, <laughs> that's true. Like, there are like nine more numbers that are significant, and they're spread out over like a like a 4,000 number range. Although the Yankees would have you believe this is not a milestone. <laughs> it's an A-Rod reference. It is an A-Rod reference. How about A-Rod? Exciting. I'm really enjoying it. I am too. I love I I love that people are happy for him again. Mm-hmm. It's it's so much more fun when we like A-Rod. You know, it's it's fun to root for him. It's fun to like him. It's fun to like him and to get to hate people who hate him. <laughs> it's just fun to watch really good players play really well. I, I mean, he's like still the the best player I've ever seen on a regular basis in person. It was, you know, seven, eight years ago. But I was hoping that we would get some glimpse of that A-Rod again. And so far we have. It's fun. I don't know if it'll last, but two weeks of Elite A-Rod is more weeks of Elite A-Rod than I expected to see. So I have, uh, for me, I have Barry Bonds is that. But mm-hmm. do you think that I have Mike Trout? Is Mike Trout going to be better? Is there any chance that Mike Trout is better than A-Rod at the end of this? <laughs> what do you think I do about this dishwasher? Open it? Uh, it's open. Turn it off? I don't think I can turn it off. All right. So, yeah. So Trout, A-Rod. Trout, A-Rod's pretty close like it, to this stage in their career. Yeah, it's pretty close. I, I've compared them at some point. Or just, I mean, they're A-Rod's MVP years with the Yankees, which is when I was watching him, were slightly sub-Trout, I think. Offensively, they were as good as Trout. But he, by that point, was a third baseman and wasn't bringing quite the same defensive and base running value that he was early in his career. So he was more of a a nine-win guy at that point, as opposed to Trout, who was a 10-win guy, at least for for a while. So Mm -hmm. maybe slightly sub-Trout. And and he was, I mean, Trout's best season is better than A-Rod's best season, right? I mean, we're almost splitting hairs. It's like, you know, less than a Win above it's, replacement, probably. It's, yeah, it's 10.8 to 10.4. Yeah, okay. So it's, it's essentially nothing. but Also but, using different defensive metrics, because yes. the defensive metrics didn't exist right. for A-Rod's 10.4. Yeah, right. So basically the same. Basically the same. A-Rod, so let's see, Trout is uh, through age 20, through basically through his first three years, A-Rod was 23 and a half wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are the same three years age-wise. Uh, through Trout's first three years, uh, 20, uh, 27 and a half. So that's, that's sizable. Uh-huh. That's pretty sizable. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to talk about the Royals and the A's and the weekend that they have. Okay. And uh, I find there to be very few uh, skirmishes worth talking about in this, in this sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, you, when you're coming up as a child, it's all new to you. The whole world is new to you. And seeing baseball players leave their dugout uh, to mill about is like ferocious intensity. It's like the most exciting thing that could happen. And also, uh, at least in my youth, I think that there were more uh, kind of iconic skirmishes. Certainly there was uh, a massive one between the Giants and Cardinals that was pretty big in my life. And Mm -hmm. you had the Nolan Ryan, uh, Robin Ventura one. 
And uh, there's there's other ones that uh, I can think of if mm-hmm. I want to. Yeah, uh, Tina Martinez, Armando Benitez was mm-hmm. pretty pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not as many good ones these days. And uh, there were there were no good fights in this one, but the, it did have the benefit of lasting three days. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time I, since I can remember really having a, a full series in which uh, the tension, the the bitterness lasted the entire time and i you know i enjoyed it to be honest i didn't watch any of the games because i'm blacked out of A's games but i did enjoy it um but anyway uh today monday grant brisby will i assume do his uh his uh assessment of the unwritten rules violations at sb nation mm-hmm. which is probably my favorite thing that grant brisby writes it's my favorite micro beat of his mm-hmm. uh and it'll be great and it will teach me a lot um, about those unwritten rules, but I thought that you and I could maybe uh, we can assess. I don't know. We can let's let's get the jump on Grant. Let's <laughs> okay. Let's, let's talk about what Grant might say. Be nice to do that for once. Yeah. So uh, so as far as I can tell, and I'll just quickly in case anybody missed it, the sequence of events is Brett Laurie. It's uh, so it's so complicated. <laughs> like I didn't see a lot of this live, and so I was watching videos and reading recaps and quotes and. Kind of, if you weren't watching it at the time, it's kind of hard to keep the sequence of events in order. Well, especially because the, once you get into the cell phone towers, it became an episode of Serial. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and, uh, like, who who sent it and who gave him the number and, mm-hmm. like, whether there was really a payphone at the Best Buy. And it was mm-hmm. all very complicated. Yeah. So this is the sequence of events. Brett Laurie slides into second base. Uh, it was deemed dirty. This is he Friday. This is Friday. He gets up seemingly apologetic, but instead the Royals jaw, jaw, jaw at him. Uh, it is seems pretty. Uh, I think the bench is clear at that point. Uh, it seems clear that he's going to get hit by a pitch the next day. Sure enough, he does. Yordan uh, Ventura hits him after falling behind in the game, uh, right in the side. I think it catches his elbow at 99 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laurie takes it and walks to first base. Uh, Ventura sort of walks toward him. Uh, is ejected. And then uh, after the game, before the game, actually before this, there's the cell phone thing where Laurie tells reporters that he texted Escobar an apology and Escobar texted back something that was not very polite. Uh, and then Escobar denied that there was any text and said that uh, he would have, it was in Spanish, by the way, Escobar mm-hmm. denies that there was anything and that he would have texted back in English if he had. And uh, there were screen grabs and people, people <laughs> transcribed it and, right. uh, and, and there, there was some question <laughs> there's some question about whether he had the right number right because players are always changing their numbers but i didn't see a definitive answer on what number he texted and what the right number is was there an he answer got, on that well, he got the number from hosmer right so hosmer you know a lot to know it but it's mm-hmm. possible that he gave him the wrong number but we haven't heard I mean, it, you'd think that it'd be easy because Billy Butler's got to know the number, right? Yeah, unless Probably. Escobar changed it over the winter. But you would figure that it'd be pretty easy to determine. Like Hosmer by now would have told Laurie, oh, God, sorry, I gave you the wrong number or I didn't. Or yeah. the test text going at some point. And so if it were indeed the wrong number, you'd think, you would think there would have been confirmation of that by now. But maybe not. Maybe there's just nobody's talking anymore. Who knows? So then uh, Ventura hits him, ejected, game ends. Uh, and everybody seems to be, I guess, content that things have been taken care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next day, today, Sunday, 
Scott Casimir hits a batter in the first inning, uh, in the foot, in the toe. Uh, bunch of people get ejected from the Royals for yelling at Casimir and maybe yelling at the umpires. I'm not sure. Um, Danny Duffy apologizes for getting upset, but Danny Duffy being upset leads his co- manager and pitching coach to both get ejected. Uh, and uh, later in the game, in the eighth, uh, Kelvin Herrera throws a pitch behind Brett Laurie at 100 miles an hour, uh, sort of around the back of his neck, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and then also starts squawking and pointing at his head. And Laurie gets mad and takes out on a water cooler. Uh, now everybody hates everybody and is talking about how unprofessional they are, and it is no longer as though this has been resolved. Is that the story? Yeah, I think you I think you hit all the major plot points. The, the great thing about this is that like 35 Royals got ejected this weekend and not one A ever. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there will probably be suspensions for Royals also. And yeah, so it, in that sense, the A's kind of get the last laugh. Okay. So let's go through each of these. Uh, I have nine, I think I have something like nine actions or something or nine people. So I want to know who violated unwritten rules uh, and what the unwritten rule was. All right. So let's start with Lori. Mm-hmm. Did Lori... Uh, violate was Laurie's slide out of line was it I mean literally out of line but was it figuratively out of line uh, and uh, was retribution deserved it's so hard to say because I kind of wonder whether like Laurie is a victim of his own reputation here like he has this reputation and deserved reputation for being super intense uh, and you know running through walls and everything and in this case running through Alcides Escobar and maybe because it's Laurie and he's kind of known as this hothead and he's got tattoos and everything, maybe the Royals are quicker to assume that there is intention to this as opposed to just Laurie being hustly and intense. I I don't know. Like he he seems to go for the bag mostly and yet he he manages to push Escobar off the bag almost entirely too. So it's hard to say. Like the, he says he didn't go in spikes up. It's pretty hard to tell from from the video. I can't really tell. So if he had done that, that would be bad, I guess. If it if he was just, I mean, it's always the team that the player is on who slides thinks that it's hustle and it's just guts and it's a hard play and it's a legitimate baseball play and the other team thinks that it's not. So I don't know. He got a little bit of contact, but I. I believe that it wasn't dirty. Yeah, I think you're right about Lori's reputation. To me, this is like the sort of the thing where like you're out on, you, you know, you get out of, of prison, you're, you're paroled, and yeah. like they say you're not allowed to associate with any known felons. Mm-hmm. And like Lori in any of these situations, like these are the known felons in his life. Like he is a guy who you assume the worst about in a lot of these sort of situations. And he just put himself in a position where, uh, we're going to assume something shady is going on, mm-hmm. but to me, I think it was. I think it was accidental. I think it mm-hmm. was. I think it was probably completely clean. It was such a weird play because the ball was deflected and the throw didn't like even come close to beating him, yeah. which was also weird. And there was no double play possibility because the play was so slow to develop. And so it's not like he. I mean, I think that's why the Royals were mad. Is that it was like he was breaking up a double play that was never going to happen. But what I think it was is that he wasn't planning to slide. Like, I don't know if he thought that he was going to be out by a lot because he didn't realize that the ball had been deflected or if he didn't think there was going to be a throw because he did know it had been deflected. 
uh, or if he just hadn't picked up the ball. But I don't think he was intending to to go in and slide at all. And then at the last second, he's like, oh, yeah. well, I got a slide. And then it got, uh, you know, it was a late slide because of that, and it got out of control. But I don't, th- like, to me, there was no, unless he hates Alcides Escobar, mm-hmm. there was no reason to go in hard. He wasn't going to dislodge the ball. He wasn't going to break up a double play. It had been, like, roughly seven seconds since the ball had been hit, I mean, there wasn't really any reason to to knock a guy out. So, I think that I think that uh, you know if if he if it's uh, who's a guy who's another guy if it's Marco Scudero, I don't know who's a guy who's a guy people like <laughs> uh, Ben Zobrist. If it's Ben Zobrist, I don't think anybody notices the slide. I think then we're we're looking at how awkward he was, but not uh, worried about it. But anyway, mm-hmm. and he gets up and he immediately seems to have said something. Uh, conciliatory mm-hmm. uh, so did, I did it, did it surprise you that the play was not overturned it was challenged and he was clearly he beat the ball there but he also maybe came off the bag a little bit in the slide and was tagged in the process sort of hard to see but melvin said after the game i think that he still hadn't seen any evidence that Lori was actually out on the play the angle that i'm watching it's possible that he came off the bag um, and was tagged. And so I guess there was just enough doubt that the call on the field could stand. But anyway. Yeah. I, uh, you got a better look at it than me. I mean, he was he clearly beat the throw. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you asking if I think that the umpires called him out <laughs> in order to uh, like a situation from <laughs> getting worse? Yeah, right. Because like, imagine sending Laurie back out there. Right. And Escobar might have, you know, like pulled out a weapon. Uh-huh. shot him right there uh-huh. i don't know so then uh let's see so so what are we saying with him Do, does he have any sin is there any sin in Lori's weekend that you can tell i'm gonna say innocent seems innocent to me seems very gonna... very apologetic throughout okay so i agree very mature i'm i'm actually proud of him he's come a long way and i think he's handled himself well i do think that the unwritten rule that he might have violated is showing the text <laughs> to me, it's a little, it's a little, you're, you're, I don't know, you're, you're making a little bit too big a deal out of it. If you want to apply, it's like when Macklemore texted Kendrick Lamar, right? <laughs> and then like told everyone he texted Kendrick Lamar about like the Grammy win. It's like, you know, I don't mind the text. Uh, it's a little weird, but I, I don't mind the text. With Lori, it's not weird. But I don't know. Don't make a big deal out of you sending the text and then pull out the proof. You're going to show him the proof. You're going to call him a liar. Well, what are, well, he's calling you a liar if, he, if you matter. actually did send it. It doesn't matter. Part of being apologetic. Look, it's a, when you apologize to someone, you don't then wait and see if they accept your apology and then take it back. If they don't, you apologize. <laughs> you say you're sorry and then you say, hey, you know, take it or leave it. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And that's how you show that you're a grown up. All right. So I'm going to say... Uh, one to ten, I'm gonna say. Uh, well, zero to ten. I'm gonna say zero on the slide, zero on his uh, on anything that we saw as far as him interacting with the Royals. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, like a like a three like a three ish on his pre Saturday clubhouse behavior. Uh-huh. Okay, I don't I don't blame him for the for the proof of text, but okay. Yeah. All right, uh, Jordana Ventura hits him with a pitch mm-hmm. uh, right in the side. Uh, what's your take? 
Well, so it comes down to the whole nature of unwritten rules, right? And whether whether there was a sin or not, whether the player has to just act as if there was a sin and protect his players. Because if Escobar thinks that Laurie did something or other royals think that Laurie did something, then now Ventura is in the uncomfortable position of either having to, you know, defend the players by backing them up and punishing the guy who did this possibly imaginary thing, or, you know, looking like he doesn't have guts or he's not willing to step up for his team or whatever. So, I mean, that's the whole nature of unwritten rules. It seems silly, it seems unmerited, and yet this is how these rules are perpetuated. This is how it happens, and you can kind of understand it from Ventura's perspective. If if the Royals clubhouse was united in their opinion that Ori did something then he almost has to go along with it. Yeah, I um, I mean, the, right, there is there is the I'm against all of this mm-hmm. aspect of it, but I'm not going to get into that because right. uh, until it's, until, you know, the commissioner decides he wants to enforce some ban on this and take it seriously like I would like him to, uh, it's part of the game. I'm mm-hmm. fine with it. Uh, it's like, uh, yeah, it, they're, just, they're just doing what they do. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the issue with Ventura... Uh, is not that he hit Laurie. I think that was probably fine within the bounds. I think that everybody on the A's would have accepted that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the timing uh, is is perhaps controversial. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, he waited it's... until he was already in a pouty mood. <laughs> right. He, he waited until the game was sort of getting out of hand. I mean, it seems to me that if you have the courage of your convictions, mm-hmm. you hit him with the first pitch. Yeah. Like, he comes up in the first. You hit him. It's done. Having it linger now, maybe there's a strategic benefit to that. Maybe then, maybe you've got the guy. You're in the guy's head now. Maybe you strike him out in the first inning because he's waiting for one uh, mm-hmm. between the the shoulder blades. Um, I doubt it, but maybe you get some benefit from that. And sure, I mean, you don't want to hurt your team's chances of winning. And I would also like if he, you know, if he had done it with the bases loaded or something in the first inning, I'd call him an idiot and say that he's what an idiot but uh there was there was just something about like like i feel like you need to do it when you're neutral it's like spanking your kid right you don't you can't do it when you're mad and i know that this is another thing where it's like oh yeah maybe also you shouldn't ever spank your kid but (laughs) as long as it's common practice like you don't put people in jail for it Uh and so but but what you can't do is you can't do it out of anger you can't do it because you're an abusive dad who like gets mad and hits his kid like that's the that's the crime like that's the crime. But if you you know if you discipline them by explaining what they did wrong and in a very calm way and in a way that is not emotional and that is not aiming to hurt them, you you know meet out a little bit of discipline like we generally understand. And I feel like he waited until he got mad and that's what made it kind of worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I thought the same thing. I mean, he what they were down by five at that point and. So, yeah, if you're if you're and going like, to do in it, that inning, right? I'm right. Most, yeah, he's yeah. just allowed five, I think. Yeah, the whole thing is is silly and stupid, and is not going to help your team win. At least, you know, statistically speaking, it wouldn't. But, but yeah, if, I mean, the whole thing is about is about making the gesture and sending the message, and it does seem like the the message is weakened a little bit if you are more concerned about the the game and that single game than you are sending the message, which is the case here. He was waiting until the game was out of hand where it wouldn't cost the Royals anything to hit him, which in a sense is smarter. Yeah. But but is also just kind of 
if you're going to do it, you might as well just get it over with from the start when it will be clear to everyone that this was coming and that this was connected to the previous day and and there's no putting anything else in front of it. So I agree, the timing and then I guess the, the jawing afterwards is also sort of unnecessary. Like you could you could do this and still keep it business like and not inflame passions further. Yeah, I agree. The the jawing, I mean, there was uh, people have brought up that he pulled this on Mike Trout a couple days ago, too. And there's something about a little guy who talks too much that is particularly egregious. Because <laughs> I don't know, in my experience, the little guy's always got a big brother. And when things get real, uh, you know, he's behind the big brother. And it's hard to, you know, respect. Now, if he, sometimes a little guy doesn't have a brother and he's a fighter and he'll take a swing. And you got to respect that. But, I don't know. So far, I've seen Ventura squawk at bigger guys twice. <laughs> and then and, Salvador uh, Perez comes over. <laughs> and Salvador Perez is always there. Right. <laughs> so not feeling right now, currently not feeling a lot of respect for Ventura, the fighter. Uh-huh. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. If he starts hitting people for no good reason, then I'll, I'll respect him again. Uh, no, I won't. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see. Is there any, if you're a, if you're a guy with a triple digit fastball, is there, I mean, he hit him in the accepted place where you're supposed to hit people, a non-vital area, but he also threw a 99 miles per hour uh, hour fastball. Is there, I mean, not that he throws anything very slowly, but he could have thrown something, you know, one of the the slower pitches from his repertoire still would have been 90 or something. But I, I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have said that. I would have said maybe that it goes down to thigh slash butt area is the target because it does really seem like he could have broken his elbow. He could have broken a hand. He could have maybe broken a rib. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there were things that that pitch could break. And, yeah. Um, so, oh, who knows what he was aiming for? It's not like these guys have such perfect control that they could not hit an elbow when they're aiming for a butt. So, But that's all the more reason maybe to not throw your 99-mile-per-hour well, you fastball. Come on, what are you? He's not going to throw a changeup. <laughs> his changeup is still, what, like uh, 88 or something? But Yeah, yeah but he's okay. not going to do it. No. All right, Scott Casimir, clearly, clearly an accident, right? I mean, you could see it in his response. You mm-hmm. could just say you don't, you know, hit, hit him in the toe. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of a pitch he throws that you kind of just hit him in the toe. So that one, I feel like that's a that seems like a clear pass, right? Sure, seems like it. Although yeah. I guess that would be the perfect cover, right? <laughs> but well, no. but no, because you want you don't right, yeah, you don't want to get away with it. You want everyone to know that you were doing it, sort yeah. of. If it was intentional and he was trying to hit somebody with the perfect cover, then that would be like an eight and a half. <laughs> for unrules violations, uh, is there any is there any part of you that thinks that he should have been uh, ejected anyway? That like once you get to this point in a series and in a in a in a in a conflict, that accidents are as bad as intention, and that you just have to have a zero tolerance for for anything that gets out of hand. I mean, if not for that pitch, Herrera doesn't throw his pitch later on, right? And so Casimir's mm-hmm. still to blame, even if it's an accident. If the umpires had tossed him, then does that settle everything down? Should they have? It, yeah, maybe it does. It seems unfair, but also maybe safer because things can get dangerous when these things spiral out of control. So, eh, I don't know. It 
if you were an A's fan, then you would have considered that just more injustice and more being wronged. So, oh, I don't have a big problem with that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's see. Calvin Herrera? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that was uncomfortably close to a dangerous region. Um, and that was also, what, a 99-mile-per-hour pitch or something? 100-mile-per-hour pitch yeah, behind I- Laurie, behind his neck. Uh, so, I mean, that's like... If any pitch up there, that's like automatic, um, pretty high number, I think, on the unwritten rules violation. Even if he didn't mean to throw it there, I don't know. If you can't be certain that you won't throw it there, don't even try to throw it there. So that's, that's like real life or death danger. So that's, that's a big number, I think. And responding to, I mean, if you're going to punish somebody for violating an unwritten rule, there has to be an unwritten rule violated. And we have right. we have deemed the previous matter in the case of Oakland versus Kansas City to have been resolved mm-hmm. by Ventura the day before. And yeah. we have deemed Scott Casimir to have been in violation of nothing. And so the response, I mean, usually when Grant does these, it seems to me that that usually the the biggest sin is in either the response or the response to the response. Like someone just doesn't know when to let this go. Mm-hmm. And clearly Herrera is the guy in this situation who didn't know when to let something go. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, I think I also hit, I don't know, maybe he's this is just good business, but then after the game saying it was unintentional, it slipped, it was raining, <laughs> I was pointing at my head because I was telling him, quote, think about it. Like the, to me having a, Uh, I don't know to having an like once you start making up excuses it stops being civil disobedience like I remember hearing uh, being I remember learning about civil disobedience you know uh, was that Emerson or Thoreau I can't remember Thoreau and uh, and a crucial part of civil disobedience is that you do not cover up your crime you Mm -hmm. have to have you have to stand behind your crime if the government wants to punish you for it that is fine you that is part of it though you cannot then um blame you can't frame somebody for your crime and you can't like try to cover it up and you can't flee the country that doesn't count anymore now you're just a criminal Mm -hmm. and so i feel like using lame excuses just don't say anything just if the reporters come and ask you just go i don't want to talk about it Mm -hmm. don't say anything you don't necessarily say anything uh incriminating but the the rain and the slipping that's the i was hacked excuse of, of baseball and i don't like it yeah I didn't I like his excuse. Yeah. So what number are we putting on Herrera? He, I mean, this is oh, like he's nine, racking up the points. I think like I think like nine and a quarter. Like yeah. this was pretty bad. Like this is about as bad as it gets. I mean, if he'd hit him in the face intentionally, mm-hmm. uh, it would have been worse. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if he'd hit him in the on deck circle, that clearly would have been worse. <laughs> but this is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Clearly, so, the the villain of this whole situation. Okay. So now. He is the villain of the whole situation. However, I think that Escobar is also a pretty like we don't know the full story, but reading between the lines of this stuff, like when Herrera said it was an accident, uh, Escobar is like, "Nah, it wasn't an accident. It was awesome. Like these guys have my back. I'm so glad for Herrera. I'm so glad for Ventura." And you sort of, I'm going to read the quote. He says. Lori, he knows he did a bad thing in that situation. That's why Ventura and Herrera reacted. 
my whole team supported me in that situation. That's why I like to play here. You sort of get the feeling that like all this would have been a lot cooler if Escobar was a lot cooler, but <laughs> that he wouldn't let this go, that he kept talking, that he came in the next day and kept on talking about it, and his team's like, eh, just give it, <laughs> give it a rest. But they he didn't give it a rest, and then they yeah. had something, and that probably all during that game he was sitting on the bench talking about how you know, horrible Oakland was. And I don't know. I just sort of feel, I guess technically he, he and Herrera weren't in the same situation, in the same location because Herrera was in the bullpen. But I don't know. You sort of get the feeling that Escobar just could not let this go. Like this is two days later and he still feels like he's been wronged. I mean, I know he's not playing, so he has, he has been wronged, whether by mm-hmm. accident or not. I don't know. Yeah. He could have, he could have diffused he it. Won. He was the one who was wronged. He was the, the supposed victim. So if he had, yeah. if he had declared that he was not holding a grudge, that it was an accident, he had the power to probably head off the, the retaliation. He's also got some of the cell phone thing going on too. Right. I mean, right. He, he could have just said, you know, anything that he, a, any apologies between me and him. He doesn't have to go. He didn't apologize to me, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have to like go through the forensics of why he didn't get the text. Just go. It's between me and him. Like, I don't know, like, dealing with this stuff through the press is bad business, if you ask me. Like, they, they both failed in that sense, but that's mm-hmm. probably even a little worse, maybe? I don't know. I, it's hard to tell who failed worse, because Escobar was clearly, uh, uh, if Lori, when Lori did it, he was trying to, um, to, to kind of quiet the situation a little bit, although saying that he got this text back maybe doesn't help. But Escobar is trying to escalate it, like, he is, he is, he is persistent in keeping this a thing so however as far as i know he did not pull out his phone and show it to anybody and uh so maybe he was a little less aggressive in making his point and there were other quotes i mean i don't know danny duffy said uh i'm tired of seeing my brothers with bruises Mm -hmm. uh and i don't know lorenzo cain said something similar about how the team is they all all got each other's backs and all that and and the royals are uh they've been hit a bunch this year although but they've been hit 13 times um the rangers have actually been hit 15 times and then no other team is above eight so maybe there's just some some building frustration about the fact that they've been hit a bunch of times intentionally or not maybe that's the kind of thing that just gets on your nerves because getting hit hurts and you want to get payback even if it's not against the people who hit you necessarily um so maybe maybe it's tied to that a little bit and the royals pitching staff has only hit uh like three guys all year so it's not as if they've been you know diamondback style eye for an eye retribution here so maybe that's part of it don wakamatsu getting ejected twice (laughs) is pretty good that's a zero on the unwritten rule. That's just cool. And uh, and then what do you think about Billy Butler? So Billy Butler in an awkward position, mm-hmm. leaving this team he spent so much time with was uh, you know like a, I guess a, maybe a leader of, uh, and uh, and then having to go to his new team and and talk about how unprofessional the other team was. Uh, does he? Uh, does he, is this okay? Does he have any any remaining loyalty to his old team that he is expected to show? Uh, do, is there a is there a time period like a non compete clause where you're not allowed to badmouth your previous employer, uh, or is he did he do just right? 
No, I think he's fine. It'd be nice if he could be like an emissary, like just going back and forth between clubhouses with an olive branch or something. But I think obviously the the loyalty has to be to the team that is paying him for the next few years. And it isn't, it really isn't as though he capitalized on his, uh, his position as a former guy from like, he wasn't like the, the Republican who turns into a Democrat and is immediately like the, the harshest critic of the party or anything like that. The Mm -hmm. quote is Billy Butler sounded confused by the play of his former team and said, I don't think it was handled right. You can completely envision, like you can envision the question you can envision the look on his face as he realizes he's been asked the question. You can envision exactly what sounded confused looks like in this case. And uh-huh. you can see how quickly he wanted to get that sentence over with. Yeah. Uh, so I think Butler did okay. It does kind of remind you just how arbitrary the sides are in these things. That, you know, if if he had been in the other clubhouse, he probably would have been on the royal side. He would have taken the other side it's just you know whatever uniform you're wearing it, as long as like someone on your team is upset you are obligated to at least seem like you are upset too so i would guess that in any unwritten rules flare up like this if you could somehow get the players true thoughts and opinions like what like half the guys on the team would be thinking that you know the guy on their team should just shut up and should stop making such a big deal out of this um but they can't actually say that they have to act as if their player is in the right almost all the time yeah i uh the one of my friends on my softball team early on in our softball careers had a had an unfortunate habit of getting into near fights with the other team and the other teams that we would play were like they were always really big like like these were like block, you know, block teams, like teams of people who lived on the same block. Mm-hmm. So there'd be guys who were like 375 pounds and there'd be, sometimes there'd be like six of those guys. And I just remember it like these, sometimes he'd be John with a guy and I would just be so scared. Like I would be thinking, like, what am I going to do here? Cause I am not fighting with these people, <laughs> but I also didn't know what to do. And at one point they were like face to face and one of the other teams guys uh, like went behind my guy and like shoved him into the the other guy. So it was like uh-huh. it was almost like framing him for a for a shove. And oh, it was the worst moment. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I, I know. And so ever since then, I have to like I, I would like yell at him, went like, "Knock it off! I'm not fighting for you. I am not behind you." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Are there any other people to critique? No, not really. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay. So let's hope that this doesn't continue the next time these teams meet in June or whenever it is. But it sort of seems like um, if you're the Royals, you probably don't feel satisfied. Like maybe maybe in a couple months you have time to reflect. So we are we are coming down pretty wholeheartedly on Oakland's side here. Hey, let me ask you a question. Let's mm-hmm. say that tomorrow like Jeremy Guthrie got traded to the Tigers and then the A's and the Tigers play. Does Guthrie now have any, any hostility toward the A's? Does Guthrie hit Laurie with a pitch or now that he's, is, is being on not the Royals just like Billy Butler being on not the Royals? Like, is it completely immediately done? If you're not the guy who has a personal one-on-one beef Mm -hmm. with the player, like Escobar and Laurie, they're going to hate each other for a while. Yeah. Herrera and Laurie. 
But is Guthrie absolved of all this if he gets traded? And secondly, they should hire assassins. Like they should actually ask like people on other teams to hit Laurie so that, that it's like concealed. So it can't be watched. <laughs> but but he won't know that that I came know, from the Royals. You, but if you if you're if you're really I mean, I said that you should have the courage of your convictions, and, and but on the other hand, if you really have the courage, really, then you're not in it to send a message. You're in it to hurt him. And if you want to hurt him, you want to do it without hurting yourself. It depends what kind of war you're in. <laughs> well, don't I think... do this, children. Please, <laughs> please, kids at home. We are, we are. Ben and I are both completely baseball pacifists. We are only speaking about this in the context of the the world that we live in yes. right now. If when we are made commissioner. Uh, serious penalties for 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 anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think anyone traded is released from his obligation. Mm-hmm. D- does this make the Royals less likable? Oh, completely. Yeah, right. Because I mean, they were so yeah. likable last year. I know. Um, and now all of a sudden, they have squandered a lot of their likability. Yeah, they're one quote from their GM saying that this is part of their strategy away from being like like hateable. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because they were they were very uh, you know intense and team spirit and everything last October, but it was a very celebratory, happy sort of team spirit where they were just you know all having fun out there, and now their fun is resulting in people getting hurt or almost hurt, and now it's not fun anymore. Yeah, it was pretty. No, it was pretty fun. It's well, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> It's still fun, you know, yeah. blood, bloodthirsty sort of way. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's it for today. We will do emails at some point this week, not Wednesday. I think we've got something else lined up for Wednesday, but you can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And you can read whatever Grant Brisby wrote about this by the time you've listened to this podcast. and Maybe he'll come to different conclusions. We will be back tomorrow.